0: three two one i feel the plot about to sicken. i like this thing action
1: you're listening to basic Brainheart with hannah camacho i got something on my face it's about to get real, real, real up in here writers are want to be seen and desperately want to hide at the same time right like that's not about me this is a science fiction story about magic you know it's like yeah it's about you everything is about, about you, you. everything yeah. is. that's I love it
0: Hey, Brainhearts, Hannah here. First things first, a big shout out to Carmen and Meg for leaving reviews. Again, thank you so much to those of you who have left star ratings. That helps us get noticed by Apple, which can help us get featured by Apple, which of course, in the end, helps us add more Brainhearts to the family. Today's interview is with an incredible woman who I'm now a huge fan of. Her name is Lorian McKenna. She's spent years training in theater, 10 years at Pixar working on movies we all love, like Ratatouille, Up, Brave, Inside Out, The Good Dinosaur. She has got a wealth of information and she's the story whisperer. Uh, These days she's doing a lot of consulting, helping other writers better their stories, she's also transitioning into the world of episodic television and may soon be a showrunner. And so we have a lot to talk about in terms of TV and what that means and how it's different from features in the world she's used to so I hope you get as much out of it as I did by the end of our chat I felt like I had had a therapy session Um, I loved talking with Lorian and I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as we did having the conversation so without further ado here's Lorian Lorian McKenna welcome to basic brain heart thank Thank you for taking the time to talk to me I, from what I've heard of your story so far, I'm loving it. I love everything you have to say. I'm super excited about today. No pressure. No pressure. No pressure. Just be just be yourself, right? (laughs) (laughs) So you have quite an interesting background, and I love where you are today as well. You're kind of in the middle of a transition um, in your career. And, um, you, are very honest about how you feel about that. And I can't wait to dive into all that. And and you're just so good. You're the story whisperer, um, which I find really fascinating because story is something that I think, well, of course, captivates all of us as humans. Um, but I can't wait to dive into that as well. But before we get into all that fun stuff, um, I would love to chat about your background and kind of where you came from, your roots, and how you ended up in this, the world that you're in now. So in glamorous Hollywood, California? Super glamorous. Super glamorous. <laughs> super super glamorous. Glam. <laughs> you know, you have a beautiful view of a washer and dryer.
1: <laughs> that's right. It's pretty, it's an unfinished basement, right? I'm looking at my washing machine right now. It's pretty glamorous. Super I am wearing a shirt uh, that's, oh, that's not good. pajamas. But on the bottom, I'm storing pajamas. <laughs> well, good. That's right. Um, but I would, I have not really
0: heard the story of okay. your life yet. So I would love to hear, you know, you so, were born and then what? Uh,
1: my parents uh, met at Rutgers University in New Jersey. Um, and uh, my mother, um, I think, was a junior. My dad was a sophomore. And it was 1967. And they decided to uh, bail on college and go visit my mother's brother who lived, uh, at the corner of Haight and Ashbury in San Francisco. And so cool. they spent, uh, the summer of love in San Francisco and they loved it. And they did lots of drugs. And my mom saw Janice Joplin and her dog at the Safeway. It was very exciting. Nice. Uh, nice. and, uh, then, uh, I think my mom, yes, my mom went back to school and graduated, uh, but my dad didn't. And, uh, then my mom moved back to San Francisco and they wanted to get married, but my mom was 21 and my dad was 20 and his parents wouldn't give consent because back then you had to get parental consent. If you were under 21, they wouldn't give consent because my mom was Jewish. Um, and, uh, so then, uh, I was born in uh, San Francisco. Okay. Uh, at San Francisco general, which might still be true, but at the time it was where poor people with no insurance, hippies, weirdos, drug addicts went to have <laughs> their baby. Um, and so, uh, there are these pictures of me when I'm a baby, I'm the fattest, fattest chunk, <laughs> fattest baby ever. Like I think, I suspect my mom was very high, and I was getting high through the breast milk and like uh, up like everything. But the doctor told her to stop breastfeeding me because I was too fat. Which, are you serious? As a mother, have it was like what? I'm sorry, having a fat baby is the best kind of baby, right? Cause yes. Sleep. So, uh, so they were hippies, and I don't know. At the time, hippies had this thing, or at least my parents did, about moving north like moving north to the promised land. So they moved up to Katati and then we we lived on a a farm and I had a goat and a pony and some chickens and I was naked all the time. Nice. And then my sister Mariah was born and then they moved up to Ukiah. Uh, So in 1974, we moved to Ukiah, which is a small town in Northern California in Mendocino County. It was about 12,000 people at the time. And um, I've written a spec pilot about it. <clears throat> nice. which when it, when it comes out on Netflix, everyone is never going to forgive me again for telling the <laughs> truth uh, about Ukiah. Is the pilot going to be produced? Like it's oh, I, and I, everything? if my manager has anything to do with it, she'd be like, yes, that's happening. But you know, like yes. I wrote it, people are reading it. It's terrifying and embarrassing and humiliating and, and amazing. Right. Um, uh, so I grew up in Ukiah. I grew up with the same people from kindergarten all the way to high school. And some of the people actually went to college with it. Well, it was a wow. really town for me. It felt incredibly stifling and alien. And part of that is, I think my mom, uh, is from the East coast and was a world traveler. And so she has just a different point of view. So gotcha. when I was five, my dad left and my mom started dating women and I was actually raised by two women. Okay. Um, who were together until I was 23 and now, uh, Elaine, who's my other mom is now remarried to a man and has three stepkids. So um, super normal, super, Um, super normal. And they all are still in Ukiah, my mom, my father and his wife, and my mom, Elaine and her husband. So they all live in this small town. So I tend not to visit there too much. So choosing to write about it was like a horrific idea because You know, I'm writing the Bible, the big backstory of the the pilot, and it's, like, having to relive the the pain, and, like, it was, like, it just, like, being a writer is terrible. Totally. Because it's just, like, it's awful. It's all about self-discovery and internal investigation and like all this just awful yucky stuff. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so so I, uh, I ran away to college as soon as I could. I went to college in the East Bay in San Francisco. And then I got really lost in my 20s. Um, and then I started taking classes, writing classes at UC Extension. And my professor, you write really dramatically. Maybe you should be a playwright. And I was like, okay. okay. So I went to a uh, playwriting school. I got my MFA. I started a theater company in San Francisco and produced. Um, so I couldn't get my work produced. So I thought, Oh, obviously the solution is to form my own theater company and naturally, produce my own work with other playwrights. Naturally. Right. Uh, I was like, I don't accept that I'm not any good. I'll just put it up anyway. Um, <laughs> I love it. And then I started teaching. I taught at St. Mary's college. I taught Parks and Rec classes to older adults, which was amazing and inspiring. And, um, you know, meanwhile, in my personal life, I got married. My husband had a brain tumor. It was horrible. Wow. I gained like 50 pounds. I watched The Swan, this reality TV show called The Swan. You remember that? It's a terrible show, right? It's like people who don't conform to standards of beauty are given massive plastic surgery, massive head to toe. And then they reveal themselves like, oh my God, I'm beautiful. This was the bright spot in my life because I would watch the show and I would think all I have to do is lose 50 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) So I was really, I was really struggling. And this is why I quit my job and decided to teach because it was at this point where I was like, my husband had this brain tumor. He's really sick. He's suicidal. It's miserable. I'm in this miserable job. And I just had this moment of like, what? What the fuck is all this about? Like, sure. what am I doing? And so I was like, "Oh, I'm going to quit my job and be a teacher." Like, naturally, as as one I, does. At, yeah. So I I think I was 30, 32, 33. and I was like, I, th- I quit my job without having another job, which is something I've never done in my life. Right? Because when you grow up poor, you always you hold on to it. that job. Yeah. Always have. Um, and then I started teaching and cobbling it together, and. Um, and I was acting in plays and teaching. And then I accidentally sort of found myself at Pixar Animation Studios. Uh, so I was in a play with this woman. I, I was uh, in a play called Ravenscroft. And it was a play and I was supposed to have an English accent. And it was awful. It was the worst pretend English. Anyway. Um, oh, governor. <laughs> yes, it was so bad. People are like, what was that? I'm like, I don't know. It wasn't American. Uh-huh. Um, something else. Something else. Yes. Yeah. So uh, she worked at Pixar and she came to me and said, there's an opening at Pixar. It's in the consumer products department and it is, um, we have an intern who only works on Fridays and she's taking a break. So we need a temp for the intern and it's, Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's $10 an hour and uh, you'd be great at it. And I was like, excuse me, I am a 34 year old playwriting (laughs) professor uh, who does not need to be a temp at a cartoon studio. Right. Yeah. You tell uh, them. And then I, I went home and told my husband, who's a huge animation fan. He's like, you get your butt to Pixar right now. I was like, all right. So I, I went and did this temp job. Um, I was rolling posters and like folding t-shirts and the studio was really cool. So this was in 2005 and cars okay. was in production and, um, like Ratatouille was in production and cars and, um, It was, it just felt so alive and interesting and it reminded me a lot of theater, how collaborative it was. And, and I wasn't, I didn't even have access to the creative pieces of it. I was like in the, you know, like reading the galleys for the art of cars book, right? Like looking (laughs) for a typo, like, you know, like not glamorous, fancy work. Um, and, uh, and then while this was all happening, I I was actually offered the full-time teaching job I had been going for, which Ah. was full-time teaching job for arts and honors, English and drama and directing a play. And I I remember getting the call while I was at Pixar that I got the job offer and I'd worked so hard to get it. And I had this hard pit feeling in the pit of my stomach. And at the time I interpreted that as I should not take that job. Hmm. And, um, it was the wrong thing for me and I should stay at Pixar and see what happens. And the the risk paid off. I, I ended up, I, uh, I applied for the Ratatouille. There was a job uh, to be the director's assistant, and I got that job. Uh, This was for Jan Pinkapa and Bob Peterson. This was before Brad Bird took over. Um, In retrospect, because you'd mentioned that I'm sort of in a new phase in my career and I'm sort of moving through a threshold, I wonder if at the time it was fear, that feeling of like taking a job that I had no idea how to do. It was so big and massive. And they believed that as a first time teacher, I could teach three sessions of English, two sessions of drama, run the drama club, direct the fall and the spring play. Right. They gave me that job offer and I thought they were crazy for giving me that job offer. So I'm wondering now, looking back where I am right now in a similar situation of somebody saying, I think you can be a showrunner. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Um, I wonder if that was more about not wanting to, not being able to own what you're what, saying, we believe in you, we can do this. Because I didn't believe in myself around that. Um, it, totally. You know, in retrospect, it was the right thing to do. I was at Pixar for 10 years. It was amazing. I, you know, uh, it was, it was amazing and fantastic and great. And really, I really learned story and um, the difference between story and plot. And structure and collaboration. And I I learned a lot about myself. I made some great friends. Um, I guess just where I am right now, sort of on that threshold piece and like the imposter syndrome is like so heavy and intense. Yes. You know, when you, I just sort of am tracking back through that and thinking like maybe that was, maybe there was a piece of that instead of holding up as an example of trusting my gut. Right. It was more about, "Mm, it's more complicated than that.
0: Totally. And that your first uh, major foray into <laughs> imposter syndrome. And since we're on that topic,
1: yeah, yeah. Let's dive in. Course, right? Yeah. Totally.
0: It's so it's something I think I don't know that I've ever met a woman who has at least, you know, an ounce of humanity that <laughs> won't admit to really deeply struggling with imposter syndrome. Of course some have it worse than others, naturally, right. just personality differences and whatnot. Um, and obviously it's, it's haunted you throughout your career. And as you just said, has influenced some of your decisions for better or worse, um, and you are at a stage in your career, and we talked about this the other day a little bit, where a lot of people would look at you and say, wow, you're experiencing some success. You know what you're doing. And, wow, you're going to be a showrunner soon. And from the outside looking in, you know, we would assume, oh, she's confident. She's got it all together. Imposter syndrome is not stopping her. Uh, but maybe can we, can we unpack that a little bit and, and talk about how it's affecting you even today?
1: Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I studied playwriting and I was at Pixar in feature and I, you know, I moved to LA a couple of years ago to be a development producer at Paramount Animation, which is again in feature for the last year and a half. I've consulted for feature stories. Um, you know, so I'm a very feature focused person. Sure. And, um, recently I was asked by a studio to pitch on a book, to pitch a TV show. And I did. And they're like, great. We love it. I and mean, we want you to show run. And I, 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 it's what I want. It's my goal. It's my beacon it's to be a showrunner. It's my dream, right? To be the creative center of a project, to be able to tell my story, to entertain, to educate, to build community. Like these are the things that like are my brand, right? Yes. Um, and yet I'm sitting here and I cannot figure out how to break this thing into episodes. <laughs> you know? And so for me, yes. that's like. I can't do this. I want to be authentic. I want to tell my story, totally. but then I'm like, "But what if they find out that I think I'm an imposter?" So it's like there's sure. layers, <laughs> the layers of "What if they totally. find out?" Right? Totally. But I. But this is a real struggle, and I. Um, yeah, it's that idea of you must have you must have bought something that I sold, and I didn't know I was selling it. Right. Like I'm confident and personable and funny and I can be comfortable in a room and I can run a room. So but but you don't think that that means that I actually have like skill under there. Like I feel a little bit like a con man. (laughs) And I was talking to my therapist about this this week and she said, well, the difference is that a con man knows they're selling crap. Mm. Right. And you don't think you're selling crap. You you are legitimately passionate and knowledgeable and will work hard to deliver, what is she, the metaphor she used was, oh, like the diamond or the, the, Mm. the rhinestone. She's like a con man will promise you a diamond and then deliver the rhinestone. And she's like, but you are promising a diamond and you will work your butt off to deliver a diamond. Now they might not love the shape of it or the cut or all that stuff, but you will deliver a diamond. And it's just a matter of then working, workshopping through it. I think. Absolutely big thing for women, for me in the imposter syndrome thing is believing that this is my one shot. I've one shot, which is so interesting because theater is so collaborative and iterative and animation is incredibly iterative, right? You never get it right out of the gate. It takes five years to craft these stories, mm. but I still think that like, okay, what I'm pitching on Tuesday has got to be it. When I, sure, when I, I, God, I hope not. Right. The, the realist, the Some producer in me grow. is like, yeah, like we're yeah. going to plus it and we're going to, I'm going to bring other writers on. It's going to be great. So I, for me, a big part of it is that like, I have one shot and I better get it right. Mm. And the terror that they will see that I'm actually terror, terrified, right. They're going to find out, they're going to find out, they're going to
0: find gonna, out. And that's it.
1: <laughs> right. And, but, it, but as you pointed out earlier, I am, I have zero poker face. I'm pretty honest. I, I am very expressive. So it's like, I have to believe that they already know who I am, right? They know that I think I'm a garbage person. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a garbage person. You are not a garbage person. I'm not a garbage person. Absolutely not.
0: What do you Um, think along those lines, what's, what's the biggest challenge, or maybe there are a number of them, um, going from features to, you know, episodic television series. And for the listeners who who may not be familiar with those terms, uh, maybe break it down for them. Um, There's one big story that takes maybe one and a half to two hours versus a bunch of mini stories that have to fit together.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think the difference is that feature is about transformation. Like you at the beginning of the movie, you have a character who has a fixed false belief. I believe that if I can crack this story, all my problems will be solved. Right. Mm. And so I, I believe that when the journey that I go on in act two is about discovering that it is not about cracking the story. It's about trusting other collaborators. And so I am transformed in act three into like, I learn something. I grow in a feature. Um, like, like in, I don't know, take a movie, take any movie. What's your favorite movie?
0: Oh boy, that's a hard one. Well, we can just, we can talk about a Pixar movie, Brave. You, you were, you were
1: one of the folks that worked on Brave, correct? Right. So Brave, yes. So Brave, uh, Merida uh, rejects being a princess wholeheartedly at the beginning. She thinks that there is nothing for her in that role. And so she does everything she can to get out of the princessy business. Um, and, but at the end of the movie, she realizes it is only through her role as a princess that she can change the minds. You know, she's standing there in the room where the, the clans are fighting and she comes back with Mumbear bear and she, she takes stage. She does all the princessy things. Her mom was trying to teach her how to do in act one, but she uses it to, to change their minds and hearts. Mm. Right. She can, yeah. so she has to accept being a princess, but on her terms. So she changes the world and she changes herself, right? Yeah. In the TV yeah. version, it would be Mum bear and, and Merida on adventures and they never change. She still rejects being a princess mm-hmm. and it's her major character flaw that is going to drive the conflict. Like Mum bear will be like, you should be a princess, even though I'm a bear, <laughs> I'm going to teach you. And Merida would be, um, like, I'm not going to be a princess. I'm going to, you know, fish in this river like a warrior and I'm going to almost drown. And you're going to have to, you know, like totally. it would be, it, how I like to break it down is in in TV. So you can talk about this stuff like I know what I'm talking about, but then I'm actually trying to do it this morning. Like, I don't know. Um,
0: well, uh, sure, it's, TV, it's, it's probably a whole nother world because you do know what you're talking about, but then creating it, it's got to be right. So
1: like <laughs> take friends, right? Friends they, they got serialized. It's my favorite TV show. They got serialized. So friends is like every single one of those characters is, uh, mentally ill in a way. Right. Like, and, and they, they have an illness, a quirk, like Monica's OCD. Ross's mental illness, unfortunately, is that he's an intellectual, um, (laughs) uh, um, you know, Joey's stupid, Chandler's awkward, Phoebe's a weirdo, Rachel's entitled, right? These are their main character flaws that they never get over. So that's the difference between episodic is that they never learn. Even as the the show started to get more serialized, like long story arcs, like Chandler and Monica get married, like that's a big growth. They find love, but Monica's still OCD and Chandler's still awkward, right? <laughs> they never grow in a significant way. So it's more like real totally. life, right?
0: Yeah. That's a really interesting point. I've I've seriously never thought of it that way. That truly, it's it's not like there's there's really not much growth. It's just
1: right. But constant. it's why we watch shows like The Big Bang Theory, right? Like it's just these characters in different situations, but still driven by their flaws. Which is maybe more true to life. <laughs> it's way more true to life. That's how we when we think of when you think about your life in a series like when I think about my whole life, I can see arcs in it and what I've learned. But like, when I think about last Tuesday, that's an episode. I mean, it's a boring episode, but like totally. it's an episode and sort of, um, for me, I think in terms of feature all the time, I'm always trying to like that's why I go to therapy. That's why I'm in support groups. That's why I build communities. Cause I'm interested in like, digging into the whys and the what's and and trying to grow. But meanwhile, the episode is me banging my head against the same thing every single sure. time, which is that I get really angry at my husband for being ill. And my <laughs> five-year-old daughter, I love her. But when she says, Mama, in this particular way, I want to, like, get in my car and drive away forever. <laughs> so that's the difference between feature and episodic. And this – I have really had to break this down as I'm trying to understand. And some people – They are truly gifted and they just know how to do this stuff like innately or I imagine that they do. That's my – that's my – fan. that's part of my imposter syndrome, right, is I think like I have to sit and like write pages and pages of how is an episode different than a feature where I feel like some people just must magically get that. But
0: that's wrong. Do you feel (laughs) like um, if you were offered – if you were to direct a feature, do you feel like you would feel like it would – You'd feel much more at home. So, no, but, I so instead, like I mean, you're, sh- being a showrunner is sort of like, in a sense, directing, directing. A, you know, episodic yeah. TV. I was I guess, just curious if you, if you felt like you would feel more at home in the feature world or not.
1: I guess um, for me, I've, I've always seen myself as a writer. And um, in playwriting, the writer and the director have my experience of two are two different roles. Like when I watched a director put one of my plays up. It was so amazing because I didn't even know there were the actors and the directors brought out levels and layers in my play that I didn't even know were there. They probably weren't there. They found them. But that, that for me, I felt like that's the magic that that kind of person brings to it. And absolutely, when I watch feature directors, um, at Pixar, they're so gifted. It's like they see the movie in their head and then they, they have to communicate with the crews to get it out. And as a writer, I see the story, the Mm -hmm. emotional pieces of it and the plot pieces, but visually this is not one of my strong suits. Like I, I can tell you what I like when I see it, but I don't see it in my head first. So I think that's like a special thing a director has. It's visual storytelling um, uh, that I think there are lots of people who are uh, really gifted at at all of that. But my strength is really, because this is a part of my imposter syndrome is lately, I've been having to focus on what I'm good at, sure. not worrying about what I'm not good at. Right. Cause if I worry mm-hmm. about what I'm not good at or all the mistakes I make, I'll just get stuck in that soup and sit in there. So I have to like, what am I good at? I'm good at story. I'm good at character. I'm good at dialogue but I need to hire like a kick-ass production designer to put a bunch of stuff in front of me. And this is why I think I, I don't want to be a director because totally. I am focused on story in a way that's separate from the visual of it. Hmm. Now being a showrunner is all those things. You're the boss of all of it. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be boss
0: so of fun
1: everything. awesome. I'll cry in my car like once a day, but, um, I'm going to get a new one with tinted windows, just a little cry. Just, just a little, a little one. I don't believe in crying in the bathroom. I used to cry in the bathroom, but but then there's always the walk back through where your eyes are all red. But oh, if, you that's outside, horrible. if you go outside, if you go outside your car, you can like fresh air and, and okay. you can be like, Oh, the wind, you know, like, it's a great <laughs> excuse. He's just managing it's the perfect. emotional breakdown in the right we way. Have to use that now. <laughs> you just take just I'm the just wind. Saying, right. Well, in, in, when I was in plays, uh, when I was acting, you know, a lot of people smoked. Um, and I was like, what? That's gross. Why do you smoke? But then I realized it's the only legitimate excuse. I'm going to go outside and have a cigarette. You can't say, Hey, I'm really tired of you. I'm going to go stand outside the <laughs> alone in the dark for 10 minutes. <laughs> so I started smoking because I needed like a legit excuse. So I Ex- think that's it. Like, yeah, find the reason you need to go out to your car for a minute. <laughs> You Take a smoke first. Break. I don't advocate smoking. <laughs> I quit. Actually, one of the That's reasons. Great. So my when I first, I, right before I met my husband, I was dating this guy who uh, I didn't like him, and he didn't like me. I was in my early twenties, whatever, you know, like desperate for some attention in relationship. I don't know. It was a terrible relationship, but he didn't like it that I smoked, and so. He said, if you don't quit smoking, I'm going to break up with you. So I lit up a cigarette and I was all, puff. and so he broke up with me. And so then when I started dating my hu- who, the man who became my husband, I was like, I'm, I'm smoking. What are you going to do about it? Right. And he went out and bought a lighter.
0: <laughs> You're like, and that's when I knew.
1: <laughs> and, then, and then I quit smoking that day. I was like, oh, I don't need to prove anything. <laughs> and he was like, thank you. Because I think smoking is disgusting. But, like, the fact that he was willing to meet me where I was, which was such a, like, the first time I've ever experienced that. Like, he liked me for who I was, not... Anyway, so then I, and then I married him. <laughs> 20 years later, here we are.
0: <laughs> the rest is history. It's I all starting with a lighter. I
1: bought a lighter for my cigarettes. But, um, <laughs> That's fantastic. Anyway. So, I, yeah,
0: yeah. I have a couple of questions diving into a couple of yeah. things you've mentioned. I have so many questions. Yeah. Um, Two things you mentioned: uh, story versus plot. I would love to hear you elaborate on that a little bit, and then of course, um, I actually also studied theater in college. I, I oh, studied cool. to become a, a drama teacher and a speech teacher. So, and and I and I personally, I know I'm more of a dialogue writer. I love writing dialogue, but it's so different from something like prose. Um, so, and it sounds like dialogue is probably your strong point. So, if you want to maybe first talk about story versus plot, and then. Um, your world in terms of writing dialogue and, and how you've honed your craft because you're so <laughs> because smart.
1: Because I'm so crafty. Um, <laughs> you're so, so crafty. How I, how I think about story and plot um, is that plot is what happens. It's the mechanics and it's oftentimes driven by the villain. Um, like in a, in a mystery, plot is driven by the villain. Um, I think about, we can get into that. Um, I can, I think about story though. Story is about the emotion of the story. So when you, when somebody asks you like, what's that movie about? Like Jerry Maguire, what's that movie about? That movie is not about a sports agent who gets $10 million contract for his football player. That movie is about vulnerability and falling in love. Hmm. That is the story. The story is the relationship between Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger and that that Tom Cruise is someone who cannot be vulnerable and has to go on a journey through everything, right, to discover that life is about vulnerability. Life is about falling in love. I mean, I just watched this on TV the other night, so that's why I'm using it as an example, but I absolutely hated it when I saw it when it first came out. (laughs) My husband and I got in a big fight afterwards because he believed in the whole like bolt of lightning love story. And I was like, fuck that. That's bullshit. Love is work. Showing (laughs) up every day. Love is hard work. Love. Yes. So I think about, so, um, so when you think about the movies that you love, like, what are they about? Is that piece that, that you relate to that resonates in your heart and, and can relate to your life? Like even a movie like Deadpool, right? That's a love story, but it's about revenge, right? Hmm. It's a superhero movie. That's the genre, and it's about revenge. Now, the plot is how Deadpool goes about. Uh, you know, the plot sure. is he's a it's guy. Play by play, yeah, yeah. He's a guy. It's the what happens hmm. is the plot.
0: That's so interesting. I've never thought of it that way. So thank you for enlightening me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and and this is something that like. This is something that I discover. So I do a lot of consulting for writers, like private writers. These are things that the writers have given to me, have told me. Like I'm working with a writer right now. I'm developing her. She, she, she's writing a science fiction screenplay. And she was like, well, plot is driven by the villain. And it was the first time I had ever heard this. This was like huh. a couple months ago. And I was like, oh. And I like really had to think about it. Sure. Um, because even like. You know, in fantasy stories, it's not the hero that like puts the puts the, the stuff in place. Like the hero has to like get ahead of it. Like Indiana Jones, right? Totally. The plot is driven by, well, Hitler, right? But I mean, the plot is driven by I don't even know that the creepy guy with the <laughs> scar in his hand. <laughs> yes, whatever. His I can't head. think
0: of his name either.
1: <laughs> All your <nerd laughs> listeners right now are going like shouting it out at the. <laughs> the, the, the I'm so sorry. I apologize deeply. I don't remember. Me name. too. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so, like this stuff. So, what I, what, in a way, I think that, uh, and this isn't imposter syndrome. This is more like being uh, open to, con- to like learning and and, in, like I think there's a healthy way to embrace what you don't know. Like totally. Because then somebody says something like that to me. I'm like, oh, the villain drives plot. Not in every case, but just like. And then that, that, and then like the next screenplay I read, I could use that to help that writer sort of understand. And so I, in a way, all this work I've been doing as a consultant has just totally elevated my game as a writer. That's great.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, what, first of all, what types of writers do you work with? And I would love to hear you talk about your story hikes because
1: I find that so fascinating. (laughs) So, um what types of writers do I work with? Uh, right now it's mostly, um, it's TV writers and, uh, feature writers. I like to write, I like to work with people who already have a draft of something, um, because it's just easier for me, honestly. Totally, like yes. I, I want to teach you how to write a screenplay. I want to help you get this one better. Right. And, and so I, I, write with people who have drafts. I've written, I've worked with people who have brought a treatment too. Okay. Um, uh, but that's sort of a little t- it's it's different. Um, so I work with I like to work with writers who um, are interested in investigating how they are telling their stories, because I think that's the truth. And our responsibility sure. as storytellers is to tell the truth. And the whole write what you know thing is not like, oh, I know how to be an office manager. It's I know what it feels like to be a five year old whose father has abandoned her. Mm-hmm. I know what that kind of pain feels like. So I can write that truth. That's what I know. And I can put that into another character and I can give her that pain. Writing is pain. Um yeah. uh, I say that with a smile on my face. <laughs> because
0: <laughs> take writing, that broken heart and turn it into art. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's painful. It's also what a luxury. How lucky am I that I get to write for a living, that I, you know, I mean it's a hustle. Don't get me oh, wrong. Sure. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah. Hustling. But um and then the story hikes Um, came out of, I was diagnosed with high cholesterol and my doctor told me I need to exercise and I hate exercise and I really hate exercise alone because I am an extrovert and, uh, going like on a a walk or a bike ride just alone just feels like punishment. Yes. And it's just me with my thoughts and oh my God, how awful. (laughs) So, uh, I thought, oh hey, I could get other people to come walk with me. Maybe I could get them to pay me. Oh hey, a I'm a story consultant, so I was like, I'll read your script, <laughs> and then we'll go for a hike, and then we'll talk about it, and uh, and it's been great. Uh, one time I got lost. I took a writer up to the observatory in Griffith Park, and trying to get back uh, four hours later. Oh boy, we took an Uber back to our car. <laughs> like I'm not lunch.
0: charging you for these no. extra hours. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like well, one time cost extra if you get lost.
1: <laughs> you know four hours, and the script was about um a mountain god who's angry and trapping people on a mountain. um oh my, and that was funny at hour two at hour three. I'm like, this isn't funny anymore. I have a phenomenal tragic like lack of sense of direction uh oh, snap. so now I need to know how to like where am I going and how'm i getting get back, like the full plan, not just let's go for a hike. Um, but the story hikes are great in that it's, it's, uh, one of, one of the people I took on it said, uh, that for her, I, we were talking about stuff and I poke at stuff, right? I'm going to poke at you and you're not telling the truth. And how is this your story? And when you're sitting across the table from somebody in a coffee shop, giving them notes, it's much different than walking side by side. And the person has elsewhere to look. Mm. And so you sort of hear and process that information. maybe without like, I'm going to stab you in the face with this fork for saying, for seeing me. Right. Yes. Uh, writers are want to be seen and desperately want to hide at the same time. Right. Like that's not about me. This is a science fiction story <laughs> about magic. You know, it's like, yeah, it's about you. Everything's it's about, about you.
0: you. Everything yeah. is. That's, I love it.
1: So, uh, yeah, I, yeah.
0: How have you found that the, the physical movement? Cause the other day on our pre-call, we oh, were yeah. talking a little bit about, um, of course, how repetitive movement can and stimulate the brain and the default mode network and everything. Do you find that uh, people respond really well to your story hikes and that they do tend to have breakthroughs? And how yeah, does that I think work?
1: as As they sort of naturally happen, and this wasn't on purpose, but as we're going climbing up, you're leaning forward, you're breathing hard. It's a lot of me talking and pointing things out and asking questions and sort of investigating what the problems are. Like, let's mm-hmm. pick this apart. Let's tear this down. And then on the way down, when you have to sort of lean back and open your chest and look up is when the writers start to come up with solutions on their own. Like the downhill, the walking downhill, the relaxed. You have processed it and then you, you move through it and start to come up with solutions. Um, I think a lot of that is the physicality of like where your shoulders are, but mostly where you're looking. Because sure. yeah. when you're up, you're looking down. And when you're going down, you're, you're forced to look up it's hard to go downhill and look at the ground. Sure. Yeah. That's I don't, fascinating. I don't know anything about neuroscience or, but I, there's tons of yeah, articles you're doing
0: the, of, the right thing. So that's what matters.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's tons of articles out there about the connection between exercise and creativity and groups and, and stuff like that, which um, I read. And then um, I'm more experiential like, than oh, that's nice. Yeah. I was like, great. I'm <laughs> just going to go for a hike. I'm just going to do this. I have, high I have not lost any weight. Um, you know,
0: well, he- at least you're active. That's what matters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, yeah. what's super
0: interesting too is, um, uh, there, there's this chart online. I need to find it, but it breaks down the daily routines of like famous creatives in years gone by. Maybe you've seen it before. Like Charles Dickens, what did his daily routine look like? Beethoven, what did his daily routine look like? And of course these are the days before internet. So there's mm-hmm. not a lot of web surfing going on. And, and, Almost in every single one of the, the cases, especially the writers and the creatives, they would take, I believe, two to three hours of their day to, to go on walks and completely disconnect. Sometimes it involved a little bit of social life. You know, they may have people over, but just to totally disconnect and just walk the gardens or walk, walk, walk. So I find it super, like, super interesting that that is a consistent behavior in a lot of creatives. And it, I know I find it really helpful. I don't do it as much as I should, but yeah. it's super, super helpful and something well, I think in today we, we don't do enough of
1: living in LA, um, I get that when I drive places, hmm. right. Cause I can't look at my phone sure, uh, and I do not have a new car that connects to my fancy phone or whatever. So like, I can't talk on the phone because everyone's like, you sound like you're in a tunnel. So, <laughs> so I, I can listen to the radio or I can, you know, it takes me like an hour and a half to get to Santa Monica where I sometimes sure. work and I process and think and do that when I'm driving. That's cool. Um, and I talk out loud and I pitch to myself. <laughs>
0: yeah, love it. Hey, no, that's good. Practice pitching. <laughs>
1: Never yeah. Never
0: underestimate it.
1: <laughs> so I, I wish I could go for, no, I don't wish I could go for a walk. God, I would just die. It, it just doesn't have any purpose for me. Like, like where am I going? So boring. What am I doing? Like, okay, I'm looking at the birds. Like, you know, cause, because I grew up in like this hippie, weird drug thing. And like, they were my mom and all their friends were in like the, the, the crystal harmonics convergence. Um, this was like this idea that hundred and forty four thousand people were gonna gather at this one point in this one year and all the planets were gonna align and it was like all of a sudden gonna wipe out the wars and the bad people, sort of like a reverse what's that called when the Bible calls everyone up? The rapture. The rapture, sort of like a reverse rapture, like or no, maybe it's like a rapture, it's just like the hippie version of the rapture, Mm -hmm. like the hippie rapture, right? So like (laughs) this is so this is how I grew up, and so I have always like really rejected meditation and like smudging. Mm-hmm. Like, don't wave your sage around me, and like, so, um, so all the, the sort of like, there's pieces in LA where like you can't avoid it, and um, and I recently, some writer friends of mine go to this woman who's a sort of spiritual psychic person. I don't know, and I was like, fine, I'll go, and the and she smudged me before oh, I, I went. And I was like, keep it together. Keep it together. Don't ruin this for everyone else in the group. But like I paid money. And for me, money makes good money. Right. If you pay money or get paid, it's legit. So I'm like, I paid for this. So I was like in it. And then we had to do like a guided meditation. The whole time I'm thinking like, this is one of the most LA things I've ever done. Like next, I'm going to go do a juice cleanse and go hang out with Gwyneth Paltrow. Like what's next? So, uh, So I did it and I, I did the, the meditation and, and afterwards she like whips around and she looks at me and she goes, how was that for you? And I was like, um, well, I didn't follow the exercise. It didn't work because I was thinking about something else. And I have to be honest with you. Like, because of I told her the whole, you know, how I grew up, like, this is all garbage to me. Like, I don't, you know, I, I have to reject it. And she said something really, I hate to admit it. I mean, I really hate to admit that she said something really powerful to me. She said. You can take a tiny piece of it that works for you and you don't have to do it like your mother did. Right. That you can just take this one little piece. This li- Like you don't have to like fully be like full sure. lifestyle, but for whatever reason at that time it resonated with me and that I don't have to necessarily reject everything. Right. I don't have to be black or white all or nothing. And I sure. think this goes back to the perfectionism the imposter syndrome, the, I, I neither, I either need to be a hundred percent in or a hundred percent out, but there is no middle ground. And so this, and so this for me was like, Oh, I can, I can be mostly there. Right. Or I can be a little bit there. Sure. It doesn't have to be, you know, cause I also suffer for a little bit of an eating disorder. Right. It's like, I am, I'm either like going to follow this diet and I'm going to be so skinny and I'm going to work out or I'm going to eat 17 cookies today and drink a bottle of wine, right? <laughs> There's no like, yes, generally eat healthy and have a cookie and have a glass of wine. Like, and it's not about moderation. It's about right or wrong. Hmm. And I, and, and, um, you're either on a path, you're on the path or you're lost, right? There's no totally. hacking through the jungle, the work, which is so interesting because it is only all about the work ever sure. like worked on these beautiful movies at Pixar and I don't watch them like <laughs> for me it was I mean now I have to because I'm a five-year-old and it's like haunts me from the backseat like the up dialogue and I'm like Prow. but um <laughs> uh uh but I but for me it's it's this it's just such a I know myself I'm pretty self-aware mm. and yet I like I know it's about the work it's about the process. It's about the people. It's about working with people who you want to work with again. And people who remember the time working with you, even though the project sucked that like they had a good time working with you. That's what it's totally. about, but it's so accomplishment based. It's so focused on, Oh, you worked on brave. Mm. Congratulations. Oh, you worked on up. Sure. And it's like, But the experience of working on that movie was so much more that's than the what real the real prize. Yeah. That's yeah. the real prize. And I know that. And yet, the black and white piece is like, this should be easy. Sure. I know this. If I don't know this, I'm a fraud. Right. And so that's where I am right now with trying to break this TV show is I should know this. I don't know it. I'm a fraud, Hmm. which is like, no, it's about the work. It's about my discovery of who I am as a potential TV show runner and Anyway, I got very serious and, and philosophical there when I was just trying to make fun of my mom and the crystal harmonics convergence. No, it's
0: good. I love it. Let's, <laughs> we should get as deep as you want. I, I seriously love deep, which is something, you know what, is, this is really interesting. And maybe I'll edit this out. I don't know. Um, consistently, when I speak to women about this stuff, they always feel a need, and I do this myself, to apologize for getting deep. I found that so interesting. Like we're not supposed to go there.
1: <laughs> do you yeah,
0: think that's a I, cultural but, thing or do you think that tends to be more of a female thing? Cause I don't know that I've heard so many guys apologize for it.
1: I, I, I do it. I do it because I've just, I've just talked for a couple of minutes or an hour. I don't know about, um, what I've learned about myself and how I am self-aware and that, I am saying to you with my tone and that I believe what I'm saying is important and true. And I apologize for it because, um, I don't want you to think that I think that what I'm saying is important and true. Like, Interesting. I, I don't want you to think that I think that I'm super smart. And I think that huh. might be the like girls can't be smart thing, which is Maybe. so weird because I was raised by lesbians in an all woman household. Like there was no like gender garbage. Sure. Like I didn't even have dolls. Like I, there was none of that, but like it might just, it's still there. Yeah. And I never, I don't remember ever thinking that in a classroom. Like the, I always thought the boys were stupid actually <laughs> because like, what were they even doing there? They were just there killing time between like having sex with my classmates or doing drinking beer. I don't know. Like I, they just found them useless. That's yes. why I did college guys. Cause they really had it together. Ha ha. Um, uh, well, that's interesting. So I don't know, but I, well, it's, it's like, I,
0: I think your, your answer is very honest. And I, I do feel like it's correct. We, yeah, we just, yeah, we I, don't want to come off as sounding smart or important, even though we do Feel it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And like this and is I think important about to feel. Owning, owning the role. Like this is a big part of it for me too. like owning where I am, owning my story and owning what I've accomplished. Cause I'll be the first one to tell you, like I had nothing to do with any of the movies I worked on at Pixar. Nope. I was just this little person who like hung out on the side. Like I, I can't take ownership of any of it. Sure. I know I had influence, but like getting acknowledged for that, like I crave, I desperately crave acknowledgement and attention Mm. and wanting to be the best. And yet, if you tell me, if you give it to me, I will throw it at you and run away. It's like, uh, I don't, I don't know what that is. Low self-esteem maybe? I don't
0: know. No, that's super, super interesting. And like your, again, your honesty is so refreshing because I think most of us feel that way, but we just aren't real about it, which then causes all kinds of horrible (laughs) cycles to go on inside. Let's just be honest. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. Um, So going back, sorry, I keep circling back to these questions. Uh And I love this conversation, by the way, it's going so many great ways Um, (laughs) is writing dialogue. So um, it is a world all its own. Uh, People like to put together idealized dialogue and that really drives me crazy. I cannot watch a TV show or a movie where I can tell they labored over each word and it's not realistic. It's, it's just, it, it, it's a total deal killer for me. Um, how do you approach it and what have you learned in the process?
1: Um, well, when I was studying playwriting, uh, I worked with Octavio Solis. Okay. Who's a wonderful, um, playwright and a lot of his, um, he, he taught a workshop and, um, what he would do is he'd have us do these guided meditations and, um, we would go, go into this place and then he would encourage us to sort of observe our characters, just observe them and just be the sort of person who transcribes what they say. Hmm. So in a way it was teaching me to, uh, respect the character and let the character talk. I'm not in control. I'm like the, I'm the person who is responsible for translating what their story. sure, And, and I think that's what people talk about true to character or dialogue that, you know, it, because sometimes the characters will say and do things. I don't want them to say or do it's like, no, no, no. I'm trying to write a play about this. Stop talking about this when really those it's not up to me. <laughs> and I, I think that sounds a little woo woo weirdo. It's not very practical, but, um, it's sort of how I learned. Yeah, how to it's like It's it. like letting
0: the character live and breathe rather than controlling them.
1: Yes. And um and so that's sort of how I approach it. And a lot of times so this this will happen. Like I'll have an idea and I'll pitch it to my manager and she'll be like, Yeah, I don't know. Like doesn't resonate. And then I'll go write the script and she'll be like, Oh, you this is the you were talking about this. Like so yes. because for me it's all about the characters and and how they talk and that's the interesting piece of it. And and what's so interesting is that is T V way more than feature. But um, Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I think I just, um, I talk a lot (laughs) and, um, I was an actress, you know, so I, and I love to pretend to be other people and, um, so so right now naturally to you, I don't, I don't know that the trick part is what doesn't come naturally to me. What I do have to work at is not just letting them have an endless conversation about nothing. There has to be the in and the out. There has to be the pluses and the minuses. Like one character starts in a position of weakness and one person starts in a position of strength. And then they fight about what they want in the course of the scene. And then that, that sort of swaps. So like you, if you watch TV, you'll see like as a character leaves, you can, you predict it. you know what's happening. You've got your character and they're like, <laughs> they nailed the job. And they walk out of the, the you know, building and then they get hit by a car. Right. Naturally. It's like and minuses, right. It's like, it's your life magnified. So that discipline of keeping things in a scene and then cutting dialogue is something I'm actively learning. Like I write long because I discover as I write. Sure. Um, and like realistically what I need to do to break the show is I need to sit down and write an episode that will never be, get used, but sure. I, I just know what the show is. I can think about it in terms of, um, theory and philosophy and theme, but until I actually sit down and invite those characters to speak to me, totally. I have no idea. So, and I've been fighting against that for a week.
0: Yeah, totally. And and for your, for your pitch coming up, do you have to pitch? Okay. This is a, a novice question here. Yeah. Do you have to focus on pitching the characters or the overall story? Which
1: All one? Of so both? I'm pitching okay. the show. So I'm pitching okay. the world, the characters, what the theme is, Uh, what the conflicts are going to be, what a whole, what season one is going to look like, what season two is going to look like, what the art's going to look like. It's the whole thing and different, but all different pitches are different. Some are like, um, so I sold a show last year to NBC and that was my co-writers and I went into the room with uh, pieces of paper that we had written and we just sort of, we went through it. We pitched it. Other pitches, have art attached to that. Mm -hmm. I know some of them have like for animation, you might do like a little animate, a little anim test. Um, It's all different. I mean, I think for anyone interested in breaking into Hollywood, the really important thing to know is that the person is buying the pitch and you, Mm -hmm. that what you bring and who you are, because they, do they want to spend the next five years dealing with you? Don't be a diva. (laughs) Don't be a diva. But it's like, be, tell the truth. Like mm-hmm. if you, if you are passionate about a particular thing and you want to sell that, and I think this is true of anything in life, right? Like own it, sell mm-hmm. it. Not everyone wants it, but like too bad for them. Right. It's painful. Really? Rejection is the worst, right? Like That's painful. And, um, I read this article last year. I think it was this woman who was working so hard to make it, to break it in as a writer. And she mm-hmm. realized that she was spending so much time waiting for the yes that what she really needed to be doing was focusing on the rejections, collecting rejections, because that meant um, instead of I need to sell a show, I need to be rejected 15 times because that means I'm putting myself out there 15 times. That means I'm, I'm not quite ready. I'm not searching for perfection. I'm having meetings. It's about putting yourself out there. And I really, I loved this and I set up a little spreadsheet and I was like, okay, here are all the times I've put myself out. And then I would get a rejection. And I'd be like, awesome. And I'd put it in my rejection column. Achievement right? unlocked. Yeah. <laughs> right. Instead of, um, instead of like, oh man, that, that network hated me. What's wrong with me? It was like rejection onto the next rejection. Right. It was just like, the <laughs> that, that lasted for a while. And then it got, old
0: then I got old yeah that
1: was like I have way too many rejections <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay I need to set a new goal here
1: <laughs> but but I but I think that that's it it's like figure out the thing you're good at and then go for it and and you cannot worry about I know you didn't ask me to give anybody advice but no I I'm giving it. myself I'm giving myself advice which is I have to love what it is I'm pitching because it's that passion um and that the courage to really uh honor what it is I want to say sure. and Uh, that I think is really risky and that people respond to. Um, And you can't fake that stuff. So like bring yourself and your ideas. Um, But it's the bringing yourself. Like you could be awesome and have a kind of okay idea. They might go with you anyway because they believe that they can Mm. work with you to get that idea out of you rather than someone who is a – jerk and has a great idea and it's like uh, can we pay them for their idea and make them go away <laughs> <laughs> can we pay you to disappear <laughs> oh yeah
0: there are a lot of Have you ever had to pitch an idea that you didn't feel 100 percent behind maybe it was somebody else's idea or your own that you just felt meant about that you
1: surprisingly i have done very little pitching okay again this is like i, I brand pitched, new yeah i pitched the tv show this sounds terrible this is So I pitched the TV show that I ended up selling. That was the first time I ever pitched a live action TV show and I got it. And then this That's amazing, by the way. This was the first time I've ever pitched a TV show and I got an animated TV show. And I I, I got
0: something right, obviously. So this is
1: what I'm like, what what do they know about me that, 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 that they think what's happened? What do they think? Who who do they think I am? (laughs) Right. Um, That's not to say though, like. I had to live off what I made on my TV show last year, all last year, right? Like it was like, I sold a show and then I've been just consulting and hustling and and then I sold, and then I've sold this show. But it's, you know, it's not like selling a show is like, great. Totally.
0: So those of us who don't, who aren't super familiar with that process, so Mm. you sell a show and then there are several next steps before everything
1: comes together. So can you walk us through that a little bit? So, uh, in network TV, for example, uh, we had, my co-writers and I had an idea. And so we went to a producer. He's someone who has an overall at the studio. So his job is to write TV shows, but also to bring in other writers. So we met mm-hmm. with him, we pitched our idea and he's like, great, I will bring you to the studio execs now. So we got notes on our pitch and we practiced and then we went and met with the studio and they said, we love it we got a yes in the room, which was amazing.
0: That is amazing.
1: Amazing. Right. And I, and I didn't know what was going on the whole time. I'm like, is this normal? They've never met anyone in TV before. Like I've no idea what's going on.
0: So we got a yes in the
1: room. And so then we worked with a studio and studios are like Warner brothers, TV, CBS, TV, like they're separate studios, separate from the network. And they're the ones that develop all the content. So uh, then we worked on the pitch some more, got a lot of notes, got a lot more notes. Then, um, and then we went and pitched to the four big networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox. And it was us and our executives from the um, studio and our producer, the guy with the overall. And then we went and pitched to like two or three executives, oddly enough, all women.
0: What? That's yes. shocking. That's really yeah. cool.
1: Uh, it was really cool. And um, and then one of the studios came back and said, we love it. Let's do it. And then that's when we get to uh, write the pilot. So we had what's called an if come deal, which means we negotiate the contract with the studio and they say, we'll pay you this much money if the network wants in. So then the network wants this, then we get paid the money. Okay. So you negotiate all this stuff in advance, and it's all hypothetical. You're like, no, 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 I want this credit or this credit. Meanwhile, like, it could not go anywhere. True. So the network said, great. So then when you write a pilot, you have to first write a story area, which is, here's what the pilot's going to be about. Then you get notes on it from your studio. Then you get notes on it from the network. Then you do it. Then you get notes, again, from the studio and the network, and, then you, and the producer, and then you turn it in and then you turn it in twice, right? Usually it's two revisions. And then they say, okay, great. Now you get to go to outline. <laughs> so then you outline it and you take, right. And so, um, and never ever go back to what you originally pitched. Cause it'd be so far away from it by then. Right. You'd be like, yeah. wait, no, no, moving forward. <laughs> so then you write the outline and that same process, you get notes from your producer, from your studio, from the network, the back again, uh, back, uh, check, checking, checking, checking. And then finally we we're like, okay, now you get to write the script. <laughs> oh, this is like a 32 page script, by the way. This is like a network, single camera, wow, comedy, like modern family. Right. And so, and then you get to write the script, same thing. Notes, 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 notes. notes. There's a lot of crying and binge eating <laughs> and reading other people's pilot scripts and freaking out. And, and then Someone else, some you know, like a lot, it's just very emotional, co-writing, right? Yes. Um, and then you turn in the pilot. It's done. It's got like the, on the cover sheet, it says network draft, right? It's very sexy and very cool. Very, very official. Yes. And it's like you have someone, you send it off and someone proofreads it for you, <gasps> comes back with all, like, it's very fancy. Totally. Meanwhile, I still haven't gotten paid because <laughs> everything works really, like, really delayed, right? <laughs> Um, yes. And then uh and then you wait. And then this is like in January, every year in January. And then the networks decide which pilots they're going to produce. Right? Ours did not get selected to be produced. You're like, "Dang uh, it." Just, which is fine. And then they then from there though, if you get produced, then you get paid to produce the pilot and you go off and you hire actors and you shoot the pilot and then you get notes and the more notes, more notes. And then after you make the pilot, there's another review process. Um, then they, then the networks look at all the pilots and decide which ones they're going to send to the upfronts, which is a big convention in New York where all the cast and the showrunners and everybody go try to sell their shows to advertisers. Wow. And if you get selected to go to the upfronts and if advertisers are like, yeah, totally chuffed about your show, then you come back, then you staff your room and then you write 22 episodes and then you start shooting boom, 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 boom. And then. You might get on TV in the fall, or you might get a mid-season, or it might not happen at all. Anyway,
0: that's insanity.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, so, like, there's two levels of accomplishment. One is selling the show to a network. The other is getting your show on TV. All mm. the in-between stuff is like, it didn't happen.
0: Man, that's nuts. That's like that's like meanwhile, quite the marathon.
1: <laughs> the meanwhile, you'll have um other projects in the works other pilots that are out being read uh, like maybe you've written a feature i have not um you know like it's sure it's a, it's a constant nothing is real until it's real everything in hollywood is wait
0: totally wait. And you have to have so many rods sort of cast in yeah. the water just waiting to, waiting for one to go wow that's yeah.
1: nuts and then when one goes it goes so fast and so hard like boom. Right. So like you've been doing nothing for three (laughs)
0: weeks. Yeah. You'll have no social life for a while.
1: (laughs) Networking. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, fun times. I learned something so the hard way when I first moved to LA. So, you know, I moved to LA, I quit my job at Pixar after, you know, 10 years, I had a two year old and I was like, let's move to LA. Uh So we did that. And, um, I had no idea how to do LA. Um, So I thought when I had meetings with people, like people would introduce me things I thought it was all of it was an interview. Right. Sure. But it's not. It's a first date.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: It's just getting to know you talking. Do I like you? And then maybe the last two minutes are, hey, you know, I was thinking I want to introduce you to this other person. Or hey, why don't you come by the studio and we can talk about blah blah blah? Or hey, let's do this again. It's dating.
0: Interesting. So the worst
1: thing you can do, which is exactly what I did, which is here's what I want to do and here's who I am and interviewing, <laughs> right? Um, it's not it's dating because it's, it's cash. It's ca- because the who you know is really just like who who thinks you're not a weirdo, right? That's who wants to work with you again? But that is it I learned- totally
0: a game of it's all about who you know, like in L. Oh, a. Yeah. LA? yeah.
1: And it's not a game. It actually is legit. Like some people I've been introduced to, I actually really like, and then that's cool. when they have, they're looking for a storyboard artist, they'll contact me and i will be like, Oh, I just, I know someone. And then I hook them up with that person that's so cool. or, and then, cause you never know. And that could be like a job in three years. I could work with that person in some capacity. And, sure. um, like the, the, how I, this show that I'm working on now is the woman that's the executive that invited me to pitch is a former friend of mine's boss at another studio. So like I knew her socially and then she's like, Hey, come in and do this. So it's just like, you just never know. Yeah. Yeah. And because if you know somebody, then they, they can vouch for you. Right. Totally.
0: Yeah. uh, And I'm sure word spreads fast when you're not an asshole.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I guess, I guess what I really, I like about LA is the people that I've, which is surprising. I was born in San Francisco. I was raised in Northern California. I was raised to hate LA, right? Like sure. Yeah. Well, everybody's gross down here. But uh what I've realized is that most people are just legitimately trying to tell stories in the business. That's really and, cool. Um everybody's trying to do many, many different things and It's really cool and fun. And, yeah, occasionally you meet a doofus or an asshole or a weirdo or somebody tries to throw you under the bus. Um, But, I mean, that's just life. But for the most part, people are genuinely trying to work.
0: That's really cool. Yeah, you're right. There there totally is that stigma, I think, of folks who haven't ever lived in L.A. They don't know what they're doing. But that's really, really cool to hear. That's awesome. Oh,
1: they're there. Oh no, they're there. There, but, but yeah. it's not the you know ninety nine point nine percent of the population. I'm not, yeah, I'm not choosing to to do to be in that in those circles. Like it, it's too hard and exhausting, and just I, my integrity gets threatened, and I start to do things sure, that like, sure. ooh, that isn't me. And I'm not totally. talking for, like a specific example or anything. <laughs> I mean, I am. I am totally talking about a specific example. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I think yeah. I've, the, the first date thing intrigues me. Yeah,
1: but that was a lesson I had to learn like after burning through a few really bad sure. dates. <laughs> like what is
0: going on down here?
1: What is this Like phenomenon? and I hope that like I hope that I get to meet with those couple of people again and like be like I figured it out I'm not a weirdo anymore I mean I'm still a weirdo but like <laughs> I need to redeem we, myself yeah I want to redeem myself I want to like just have like a total casual nothing awesome ask you about your kids cool bye right like I'm not a weird I'm not desperate
0: <laughs> but hey I mean if that's all you know then you know hopefully, hopefully they yeah. realize it oh she she's not used to the to the LA thing yet <laughs> yeah. she'll get there I, did I anybody with, like clue you into that or did you have to just figure it out?
1: Um, I don't remember. I, maybe I, I couldn't figure out what was going so wrong. Hmm. And then a woman I worked with, um, she's a recruiter, a talent manager. She told me about this book she was writing called how to date your boss, which is that your relationship with your boss or anyone else is sort of like it's dating, right? Yeah. You can't just barrel in and ask for a raise on the first date. Right. Totally. You, so, so it was just an interesting, So I was like, oh, maybe, maybe that's how I've been messing up. I don't know.
0: (laughs) I can be intense. Like maybe that's (laughs) it. Any uh, horror stories or embarrassing moments you want to talk about that might be funny for people to hear?
1: Um, Well, uh, (laughs) let's see. Once I was uh, meeting with a director. This is at a studio I was working for. I was meeting with a director and... He was, you know, I I was doing the thing that I do, which is get them to really connect to the story in a painful, personal way. Like, Mm -hmm. stop talking to me about the plot and what it's about. Like, I want to hear about, like, what happened to you when you were a kid that you want to tell this story, really? And midway through, I realized I'm getting my period. Oh, Oh, no. Right now. And so I'm trying to be very (laughs) present and invested in him. and I'm thinking... I'm, it feels like a bleeding to death one, too. Like, it feels like right at oh, the no. gate, like, it's going to be the elevator scene from, um, you know, the shining, right? <laughs> Just like blood. I'm going to float away in a river of my own blood. <laughs> um, and so I decide to table that because I, professionally, I have to, like, I have a choice. Like, yeah. do I get up now and excuse myself and go take care of whatever's happening? Or do I stay here in this conversation because I feel important helping him, right? So I, like an asshole, decide to stay and be important and continue the meeting. Meanwhile, no. we're in his we're in his office and I'm oh. sitting on the couch in his office. The meeting ends. I stand up and there is just the ever so slight, <laughs> like maybe two inches, a, a, like a it's a blue couch, so it's kinda like a purplish. So I bled through my pants onto this man's couch. Oh no. And I see it. And I'm like, no, no, thanks. And I just left. I just (laughs) left. I was like, I can't even deal with that. And I didn't avoid him. Or I was just like, I bled on that dude couch. Um, So that was not awesome.
0: That's not, yeah, that's not very fun.
1: But again, it speaks to like, um, I'm a woman in my 40s. Like, I don't know when my period is coming. Oh my God, what's wrong with me?
0: Unpredictable. (laughs) Oh man, that's every, I mean, I think... All of us women hopefully have a similar, well, not quite to that degree, but the stakes were pretty high there.
1: <laughs> but I, but it was you know I was like I'm going to stay here and impart my wisdom, you know, not like get up like a grown up. Hold on, just a second, you know. <laughs> at least I didn't poop my pants. Yeah, there's no hiding from that one. I, that that's one a story I had at Pixar. I was working on Up, and I had. Um, so do you know what that sound is? When you've eaten something and it sounds like a fart, but it's an inside fart. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a gurgle. Phew! Right? Yep, yep. So my, we used to call those, my friend and I would call them insarts because they're inside farts. <laughs> and so if we would, whenever we ate at the salad bar, we would always get what we called insarsha, right? <laughs> and so we'd be sitting in the back of the room in the editorial where the director is reviewing, you know, the the cut from the day and, and I'm taking my notes. And and all, all of a sudden I realized my insarsha has moved on to like, defcon whatever defcon nuclear war so i oh, run no. to the bathroom and i'm in the bathroom and it's one of those kinds of things where like i'm sweating and like i've had to totally take oh, off my no. pants because like you know sometimes you just have to take off your pants <laughs> and i'm like holding on to the the handicap bar and over the intercom laurian mckenna please return to up editorial oh. over the whole building all of pixar and i can't because i don't have any pants on and i'm <laughs> Trapped on the toilet, holding onto the bar, sweating, and I was in there for like a long time. Three more times, I'm I'm called for on the intercom. Oh no! So, so finally, when I figure it's safe to leave the bathroom, I return, and everybody knows where I've been. Everybody (laughs) knows what's happening. And then, and then, uh, one of the directors turns to me. So we have this joke where, like, if something got inappropriate, we'd be like, "Red light, red light's too gross." Like. That's inappropriate. We can't. So he was like, "Brown light, huh?" <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So oh, that's uh, horrifying. Bodily function stories are kind of like my embarrassing. I mean, the the, the kinds that you're looking for were like you say this to, I don't know. Those are my no, those hey. are my two. <laughs> I think about, like that's about as bad as it gets, right? <laughs> I think I've got my
0: laugh quota in for the day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think I just have one final question. Um, And we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but if you have any last thoughts you want to impart upon us, um, the growth process is never ending. I think in our minds, sometimes we think when I get to this stage or when I accomplish this, I'm kind of done. I kind of will know it all. And, uh, you know, I won't really need to grow anymore. But it's really a never ending process. Um, And I mean, we, again, we have covered this somewhat, but what kinds of growing pains are you going through right now? And um, how are you working through those? And you're, it sounds to me like one of the ways you're doing that is being very open and honest about what you're growing through and getting through. Um, and that seems to be helpful. But any other, any other tips or tricks or just personal anecdotes that, that you've found helpful?
1: Um, I drink wine. I'm, I'm no. Um uh it's hard for me. It I like I'm listening to you and I and I'm like, yes, that's a really good question. And I because I think in future I will be able to tell you that after I get through this, like totally. what it was but you're in the i think, of it. Yeah, I, I think it's um it's about owning owning the space I'm in, owning where I am. I, I think a lot about parenthood in relation to this. Like mm. there's this idea that that we should figure it out, that we should know where it is, you know, but when I look at people who have kids who are younger than mine, and they're in the middle of like, just daily triage, and then people who have kids who are older, and I think, oh, they must have figured something out. No, they are also in daily, even when your kids leave, that's a whole other kind of way to be a parent. And I think that, um, and the world tells us like, there's a way to be a good parent, an appropriate parent, and a way to be a bad parent. And Um, and so I think it's, that's how I, I, I see it. Like I, as a mom, I, I try to show up and be present. I try, I'm miserably, I want to like play candy crush, be like, here, watch princess Sophia. I'm going to go play candy crush and make dinner in the kitchen. That just means (laughs) boiling water. Um, uh, so, but I think it's about, um, listening to, to my daughter when, even when what she's talking about is make believe or. Or especially then, I don't know. I I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I think it's about just being okay with not knowing what I'm doing, not knowing
0: the answers,
1: because so, yeah. every time something happens in parenthood, I think, what am I supposed to do now? Hmm. Right? Like my daughter has these two little friends and they're in this sort of like horrible little girl gang. Try it. They're five. This, oh, one boy. of them doesn't like the other. It's like very, very girl gang stuff. And yeah. I think, what am I supposed to do? Cause what I want to do is say, those two little girls are awful. Don't be friends with them. Right. Totally. Um, But I know I'm not supposed to say that. Right. But then I'm like, but that's what I want to say. So it's hard. Like what am i supposed to do. What do I want to say? If I make a mistake owning it. And I think that's, that's just uh, where I am in my career too, is sort of, um, instead of thinking all the time of like, what am I supposed to do? It's what am I, what do I feel called to do? You know, like, um, I'm specifically thinking about, uh, in this TV show, like I have this idea that they're expecting one thing from me, hmm. but I keep doing something else. I keep telling a different kind of story. So I sure. have to sort of honor that and see where it goes. I think,
0: I don't know. I'm not answering your question. No, that's, that's incredible. That's seriously exactly.
1: It's what the, what am I supposed to do sure. rather than what am I going to do? Right. And being, being confident that whatever that is, whether that's right or or it's a mistake, or I make it worse or make it better, that that's just it. That's the pro. I can't worry about what I'm supposed to do. Sure. Right? That's I don't know. Fabulous. I mean, am I, is there a supposed to? I mean, I wear sneakers to my meetings now because high heels hurt my feet, and flats make my feet go, look girl. like— boat. So I'm like, I bought some Tom sneakers and that's what I'm doing. I don't think you're supposed to do that, but what I'm doing,
0: you know what, who cares?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I guess that it's the growth for me is about struggling with the supposed to Hmm. instead of the, what am I, what do, what am I going to do? And sometimes I'm going to say the stupid thing or the wrong thing and shame and feel shame. And I don't know. Yeah. This is the should. The should should that's I love that that's really I'm beautiful. super not successful at it all the time though right like no but it's what you aspire yeah it's what you're working yeah. towards that's but I think of that in terms of parenthood right like we're all disasters, Absolutely constant disasters at it it's right true. I mean anybody who's pretending that they are amazing at it <laughs> write a book
0: they're doing it wrong I'll
1: probably buy it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, yeah. I can certainly uh agree with that having three littles myself. I do constantly feel like I, I don't know what I'm doing, and whenever we hit a new challenge, I just think i i I can't even <laughs> you
1: know? yeah i can't yeah. I can't do them well it's honestly it's the reason I quit Pixar because That's interesting. i um I was feeling i mean i was I had a great career at Pixar I felt sure. respected sure. and I was doing real work that I love, but I, but I had this sense that I wanted to do more Hmm. and then having my daughter and my husband doesn't work uh, because he's disabled. And I realized I'm going to be the sole breadwinner and I want, I want to be like doing something scary and risky and exciting in my life because I want that to be part of her life. I Hmm. want, and so I was, What's the craziest thing I could do? I don't know, quit the safest thing, you know, I can. And maybe it was a mistake. I don't know. Uh, And I, so I quit and I moved to LA and uh, it's been rough, right? But part of her story now is my mom, my mom moved to LA to follow her dreams and to do, to fight, to follow her calling. And I, I can't think of a better gift to give her than that. Wow. That's amazing. I was really aware of that when I was doing it. Um, I probably didn't execute it very gracefully, my sure. you know, uh, and I was maybe a little postpartum depression a lot, actually. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but the, I'm really proud of that and that I get to, to tell her that. And, and I never, I don't think I would have left if I hadn't had a baby. I'd be there. I'd be working. I'd be, you know, so, like, yeah, you have a baby, the thing you're supposed to do is provide security, and then I was like, "I quit I don't have health insurance anymore <laughs> you know like woo-hoo, woo-hoo. um but it makes but I, it does
0: make perfect sense,
1: yeah, so that's that's um that was the one good thing I did, I think for her now I'm raising her in l a which I don't know if that' so great, but
0: <laughs> it's working. Yeah, uh, this is this has been amazing, Lorian. Thank, Thank you so, you so much. much for your time. If I don't people, hate talking about myself. I so, hate that's no. why I asked you on. I wanted you to talk about yourself. Um <laughs> if people want to find you, where can they find you online? I don't know if you do social media much or if you'd prefer they go to your website. Where can they find you?
1: Uh my website is mostly focused on consulting, but you know, there's a really old picture of me on there from a the trip I went to Italy by myself, LorianPenna.com. <laughs> <in laughs> Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm angry writer LM. I very tweet, very rarely tweet. I don't get Twitter. I don't know how to follow people. And I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. I sometimes I'll type in something and then I delete it because I feel like I you know,
0: <laughs> eh, not good enough.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram, but it's just pictures of my kid. So not that exciting.
0: Uh, I don't <laughs> know. Fantastic. I'm not really, yeah. No, that's great. I'll I'll link yeah. to your Twitter and your your website so people. Can oh yeah, my Twitter. Read that. It's fascinating. All that jazz. Oh well.
1: Oh, I am doing one other thing. I'm also starting a web series. <gasps> yes. Uh, called with Emmett Comics and Dara Harris, called um, "I Failed, So What," and we are talking to women in industry, in comics, animation, and theater, and film and TV about. Uh, failures that they've had and how they um, have navigated through them or out of them. And we're talking to Brenda Chapman and Meg LaFobe and Marty Knoxon and some really, uh, and other wonderful women and some, a few men too. But, um, so hopefully, uh, next year I failed. So what will not be a failure? <laughs> It'll be
0: a <laughs> smash hit. And as soon as that is available, let me know because I will share it with all the listeners and I can't, I can't wait to watch it. Can't wait to subscribe. Is it going to be a web series like on YouTube or also a podcast?
1: It's going to be a web series and a podcast. And so I think we're doing Patreon through it, right? We're going to do Patreon. Patreon, And then Patreon. I think, is it Patreon? I'm the talent. I don't know any of this stuff. Patreon. You don't have to know it. (laughs) And then so there'll be different tiers to like get access to the website or the web series and Um, but, uh, Emmett comics, uh, the woman who, um, she runs, uh, and manages a, um, comic book company that produces women artists and women writers. And they have some amazing books. So like check them out Totally. uh, and, uh, their stuff is really great. I mean, really great.
0: Fantastic. I will, I'll link to all of these amazing things so that everyone can find them. Um, fantastic thank you Lorian I so thank again you. so appreciate your time thank you for, for coming on
1: thank you so much say goodbye to your little friend thanks for listening to Basic Brain hearts, Camacho I'm not great at farewell so that'll uh, do pig. check back soon for more heart pumping brain boosting content